Hallelujah. Good morning. Yeah, well, I, um, I was interested when he picked on a young man called Alec. I don't know whether he was trying to replace me before I got up here. But, but how many of you know what the name Alec means? A-L-E-X, my name is Alec. How many people know what that name means? See, names, I believe, are very significant. There's not a name without importance. Alec means this, and you can tell this young man. This is what it means, protector of mankind, leader of men. That's what my name means. So, Alec's on the right track. Protector of mankind, leader of men. I was given that name because it's half my grandfather's name. His, he was an Alexander, but I'm simply an Alec. The only problem is when they wrote my name, they spell it the way the ladies spell it, A-L-E-X. The men spell it A-L-E-C. Some of you didn't even know that. Because it's not your name, it's my name. But uh, names are important. But this morning, I... Yeah. Hmm. Can you just shut your eyes for a moment? Indeed, Holy Spirit, we thank you that you're not a guest in this room. You are the reason we are in this room. And we simply still our hearts before you and invite you to lead and guide us into a deeper place in the things of God today. Lord, there's something in us that's not satisfied yet. And we want to be satisfied. Lord, your word declares those that hunger and thirst after righteousness shall be filled. And may there be a hunger in this room this morning. May there be a thirst in this room this morning for more of God. We still our hearts and allow you to take control of everything and everything that's said and done in Jesus' name. Amen. I, I'm not a singer, but I, but I enjoy worship. I enjoy when people are singing and praising the Lord. And, and uh, you know, sometimes we, we think that we, we can't do something because we're not gifted that particular way. But let me tell you this, your, your giftedness in the natural has nothing to do with your giftedness as far as God is concerned. God will enhance your giftedness if you're willing to let him, and that's the truth of many, for most of our lives. But there's also a sense that there are things that we can do simply because we're allowed to. You know, you think if we get to heaven and only those that can sing properly can sing, what are you going to be doing in heaven? I truly believe we're all going to worship in heaven. It's not just going to be reserved for just a few people like this. We're all called to be worshipers. And if, if we're going to be worshipers in heaven, then we ought to engage in that business right down here. Because the Bible says God is a spirit and they that worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. So I encourage you to learn to be a worshiper here. And worship is not dependent on circumstance. You know, some people say, well, I don't feel like worshiping. Get past your feelings. It's not about feelings. It's about you and your relationship with God. See, if, if my, well, sadly my wife has gone to be with the Lord already, but 
if, if my love for my wife was only dependent on when I felt good about loving her, my love was not as it should be. See, when I stood and got married to her, I don't know what your husband said to you, but in a marriage service, we normally say, for better, for worse, for richer, for poorer, in sickness and in health, forsaking all others, keep the only known to one another. When my wife and I said that many years ago, we meant it. Our, our love wasn't based on feelings. It was based on relationship. I loved her when I met her, and I loved her when she passed from me, and I still love her today. She's not with me, but I still love her. Because my love is not based on feelings or circumstance. It's not based on what I can get from her. It's based on what I can say about her and talk about her. And this is the truth about God. We've, we've got to come back to this kind of simplicity. I'll leave all the theological stuff to Pastor Peter. I, I, I never perceived myself to be a theologian. I'm a lover of Jesus. And, and for me, if you're just a, simply a lover of Jesus, you, there's nothing you can't do. I, uh, when I got invited to come here, this, this is our third attempt to get me here, isn't it, Pastor Peter? I think it's the third attempt. We'd, he'd booked me twice before and COVID came and another time COVID came. And so I've just, I'm the delayed version. <laughs> but I want to promise you this this morning. I take every opportunity I get to share the word of God very seriously. Uh, somebody asked me down the back this morning about something and I made the comment to them and said, I think I, 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 I'm, I'm, I'm underestimating rather than overestimating I think I preached something like five and a half, if not five and three quarters, thousand sermons. Over five and a half thousand sermons. How many sermons have you preached? How many have you preached? How many have you preached? Why not? See, the truth is, we all should have a sermon inside us. The Bible says we're to be instant in season and out of season. Yeah. All of us need to be. You, I, I challenge you, go home and write a sermon. I'm not talking about a, a three-hour sermon or even a, a one-hour sermon. I, I really challenge you to, to write down something that you could use if you had to use it. And I believe we're going to come and be presented with those kind of opportunities. We're going to be given opportunities that we've never had before. All of a sudden, maybe in a lunchroom and at a workplace, the people at the lunch table will say, hey, listen, you go to church, tell us something. And what are you going to tell them if you haven't prepared something to say? Yeah. We're going to learn to be instant in season. Don't leave it up to him. Uh, you know, I can imagine you at your lunch table with the workmates. Oh, just a minute, I'll ring Pastor Peter and find out what to say then the truth is he hasn't done his job. His job is to get you prepared to say something when you need to say it. So I came here, and I haven't come here unprepared. I, I don't know what Pastor Peter does when he prepares messages, but I simply say, God, what's on your heart for these people? I'm not here as your pastor. I, 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 I'm not influenced by last Sunday's service. I'm not influenced by words that come from him. I'm not influenced by what I've seen in the media. I'm not, not influenced by what I hear. I try to be influenced by the Holy Spirit. So I said, Holy Spirit, what do you want me to talk to this church about? 
This is the title I wrote him. I don't know about you, Pastor Peter, but I'm a great one for God. Give me a title, and then the message comes. So I wrote on the top of my page, what would get you to stop? What would get you to stop? Seems like a bit of an obscure statement, doesn't it? What would get you to stop? So I said, God, give me something to illustrate the point. So I'm going to illustrate my introduction this morning. Some of you will recognize this. How many people know what that is? How brilliant are you? A coin. What, pardon? A penny. He's a smart man. Give him a prize. It's a penny. Have you ever seen one of those before? A penny. Back when I was a little boy, this wasn't the smallest denomination, but it was a coin, and it was considered to be one of the smallest valued coins. There was a half penny, half penny. There was a, how many people remember half pennies? But I want to use a penny by reason of illustration this morning. When I was a child, if I was walking down the street and I saw a penny in the street, I would stop and pick it up. Now, the value of this penny, it's, it, it, in, in decimal currency, this equates to about, if I directly equate it, it represents about half a cent. Half a cent, not 10 cents, half a cent in, in equivalent value. But back in my day, I would stop and pick up this coin because if I had three of them, I could buy an ice cream. If I had three of them, I could go to the picture theatre. If I had three of these coins, I could go and buy a bag of lollies and be well satisfied with how many lollies I got. Just for threepence or three pennies, I could do an extremely lot of stuff. So for me to see a penny on the street, I would stop for a penny. I would stop for a penny. But the other day I was walking here in New Zealand. And I saw one of these on the ground. Are you familiar with these? Yeah. What's this? 20 cents. 20 cents. 20 cents. I saw 20 cents laying on the ground. 20 cents. But I observed this. Literally, dozens of people walked over it, ignored it, and never stopped and picked it up. And yet that is more than 50 times more valuable than that in equation. More. That's worth 50 times more than this. But whereas I'd stop for a penny, they wouldn't stop for this. And I asked myself the question, what would stop me? See, I would stop for a penny, but some of you wouldn't stop for 20 cents. In other words, you put more, I put more value on a penny than you put on 20 cents. And I believe that the same is true when it comes to the things of the Spirit of God. It's only the things that we place value on that we will stop for. And if you don't put a value on it, you won't stop for it. 
If you don't put value on worship, you'll never stop to worship. If you never stop and put value on prayer, you'll never pray. If you don't put value on reading your Bible, you'll never read your Bible. You'll only stop and do what you put value on. You'll only stop and put value on what you put value on. And God, I believe, is speaking to his church about what we value. What do you value today? Some years ago, I had five bypasses done on my heart. When I was being prepared for theater and operation, one of the doctors came into the room and he said, Mr. Larson, this had all happened very quickly in the space of three or four days. And he came into the room and he said, Mr. Larson, he said, I'm sad to say, or I apologize, he said, we, we have to perform major surgery on you. And I'm thinking he's going to give me a, an aspirin and send me home. But he didn't offer me an aspirin. He said, we're going to do bypass surgery. Now, you know, I had no thought that this was, could be a reality in my life. But when he told me I was going to have major surgery, it was almost like my, my head went off into another space. I, I was here a fit man. I'd been running marathons. But here I am laying in a bed being told that I needed bypass surgery. It was as quick as that. I went from being this healthy person, fit person, to needing bypass surgery. Just like that. And I said to him, you know, um, are you really, really certain that this needs to happen? And he said to me, Mr. Larson, you are one hour from dying. One hour from dying. If we had not got to you when we did, you wouldn't even be alive right now. And he said, I'm, I have to say, Mr. Larson, you've got no alternative. If you don't have this operation, you will be dead. Let me tell you, I gladly put my hand up to have the operation. I gladly put it up. But I tell you this, one thing that I've put more value on than ever before, I put value on every day that I wake up. Because without that operation, I would not be waking up. And the reality is I would not even be here right now. See, you will only stop for the things that you put value on. And if you don't put value on it, it will not be anybody else that will disqualify you. You will be disqualifying yourself. People walk past 20 cents because they don't put value on 20 cents. They don't put value on it. A little story. I went to Bible school. This is back in the mid-70s. And my wife and I traveled from Auckland to Wellington to go to the Bible school down there. It was a two-year course. And uh, I came out of Bible school, got to my first church, and within about 15 months of leaving Bible school, I was pastoring my first church. But the church wasn't very well off as far as money was concerned, so I, I worked two days for the church and three days for myself. But when you're only working three days a week, you don't get a lot of money. Neither could the church pay me a lot of money, so I, I didn't have a lot of money. But I remember one day I, I was looking for work and I was getting many part-time jobs and I was working with this man doing concrete. And the job we'd been assigned to do was to, to lay guttering in the Lower Hutt City Council along the side of the road. And so this man that I was working for had gone there with his team the day before and laid all this concrete in the, in the guttering 
and uh, I had to go down the next day by myself and strip all the guttering to get it ready for the next lot of boxing to be done. And I remember going, I got up early on the Saturday morning, it was, get up early on the Saturday morning and about five o'clock in the morning and I go down to Lower Hut. Here I am in the gutter, working, pulling out this boxing from the concrete in the gutter. And I'm there knowing I should be, well, I needed to be there to earn some money to provide for my family. Anyway, I'm working in the gutter and it started raining, but I still had to complete my work. So I worked on completing my work. And as I'm working like this in the gutter, something caught my attention way up the road in the gutter. And I saw something like in the gutter and it was moving towards me because the water was flowing in my direction. And I'm thinking, I wonder what that is. You know, it didn't look identifiable from where it was so far off. So I kept on working and I realized it would eventually drift up to where I was. And as, as I kept on working, this thing came closer and closer. Finally, it got about probably from here to Pastor Peter away from me. And I realized what it was. It was a $5 note floating down the gutter. And I'm thinking, oh, this is good. So as it came floating up to me, I picked it up and put it in my pocket. Now you might think $5, so what? Back then, for me and my family, that $5 was the food for the day. That provided food for my family for that day. So when I got home that day, I came home and my wife was at home with the children and I walked inside and I said, Elaine, my wife's name was Elaine, I said, Elaine, have you been praying for some money? And she said, yes, she said, we've got no money for food. And I said, God's given us some money for food. See, see, when you have, when you have a need, God can meet that need through some amazing kind of ways. But if you're not paying attention, you can miss a God moment. And I would even suggest to you today, there have been many God moments that you have missed because you've been looking for the big and the bright and the big and wonderful and the loud and the crouch, but God has not been in all of those things. God is in something far lesser than that, but you've missed it. Come with me in your Bibles today, and I'm going to take you quickly to a passage, and then Pastor Peter's told me I'm allowed to come and speak to some of you. I want you to come with me to the, to the book of Zechariah, chapter 4. This is what it says in my Bible. Then the word of the Lord came to me, that is Zechariah. The hand of Zerubbabel has laid the foundation of the temple. His hand will also complete it. Then you will know that the Lord Almighty has sent me to you. And listen to these amazing words as we start verse 10. Do not despise the day of small things. Don't despise the day of small things. Men will rejoice when they see the plumb line in the hand of Zerubbabel. These are the seven eyes of the Lord which reigns throughout the earth. But the, the words I want to focus on this morning, who has despised or who despises the day of small things? Small things. Small things. This is of lesser value than this. But as a little boy, I learned to value this coin because of all that it could bring me. And yet people today walk past this 
even though it's worth at least 50 times more. See, I can't put value on things for you. Only you can put value on things for yourself. Husbands, I say respectfully, it's not up to your wife to put value on your marriage, it's up to you. Husbands, it's your job to put value on your marriage. But wives, you're not excused, it's up to you to put value on your marriage too. See, marriage is not a 50-50 partnership. Let me tell you this, some people think, oh, marriage is a 50-50 deal. I want to tell you that's a lie from the pit of hell. When God looks at marriages, he looks at it this way. And it's interesting, you're sitting there, you're sitting there. <laughs> because this is the reality. <laughs> that, that's better. This is the reality of marriage. <laughs> Don't play act. <laughs> Unless you mean it. Okay. But this is the reality of marriage, as it should be. God expects you to give 100% and you to give 100%. It is not 50-50. Many marriages fail because they see it as a partnership. It is not a partnership. It's unity. The two shall become one. You violate yourself and you're violating your partner. And the partner is violating you. We need to start thinking as God declares it to be. See, when you don't put value on your marriage, nobody else can put value on it. Your children... I mean, I, I know you talk of children this morning. The Bible says children are a gift from God. Amen. Let me tell you, if you take a gift from God and misuse it and mistreat it, then who are you abusing? You're abusing God. If you gave me a gift this morning, you know, young lady, you're being generous, and you give me a gift this morning, let me tell you, if you gave me a gift, and I'm not asking you, but if you did give me one, I would treasure it. Why? Because... It was a, it's a part of you that you're giving to me as an expression of your love towards me. And this is what God did when he sent Jesus. He gave his only, his best, his most perfect son to represent you on the cross. That's the truth this morning. One life was sufficient to cover all of our sin. All of us could have gone to the cross and that wouldn't have been enough to redeem mankind. All of us could have gone to the cross and mankind would not have been redeemed. It took the life of one. Don't despise the day of small things. Don't despise the day of small things. I remember years ago when my mother-in-law, she was a godly woman. Her life hadn't been all that pleasant because of circumstance, but... She, she, when she died, her children, her six children, were given an inheritance, not large sums of money, but they were given something by reason of inheritance. And among the things that my wife was given was this little box of trinkets, because the mother-in-law wasn't a wealthy woman, but she had some little trinket things that she found some pleasure and enjoy in, just tiny little things. And amongst the things that she was given, there was, there was this, in this box, the little box it was, there was a lot of little coins. And so when we got married, my wife brought it into the marriage with her. And uh, my, when my children came along, my oldest two in particular, when they came along, they discovered this little box with these little coins in it. 
And they didn't even ask their mother. They just began to take the coins out of the box. And they used to play shop with it. How many people played shop when you were little? They played shop. And so they got these coins out of the box and they'd play shop and buying and selling and buying and selling. At the end of the game, they'd put the coins back in the box again. One day, somebody was visiting her home and, and this box was brought out for whatever reason. And this person said, oh, you've got some unusual coins in that group of coins. Have you ever had them checked out as to what they're worth? And we said, nah, they're just, just the coins the kids play shop with. So we left it at that for a few days or a few weeks, I should say, and finally the opportunity came for, we heard of somebody who was a, a valuer, a coin valuer, that we could go and see. So my wife gathered up what we thought were the significant coins anyway, amongst the coins that we had, some were familiar because they were local decimals, uh, decimal currency and things like that, but others we didn't recognize. So we took this little box and we go into this man's house or this place, man's business, and he put a cloth on the table in front of us and we're sitting there and my wife just tipped the box on the table. This, you know, this guy didn't seem to mind because you know, he didn't know what value coins were there. So he then began to put his hand out and he began to move the coins around. There was only about 20 coins. He began to move them around just like this and he said, oh, I think this is this and I think this is this and I think this is this. All of a sudden he stopped. I do not exaggerate. This is the truth. He turned around and he opened a drawer and he pulled out a glove. He pulled out a glove and he put it on his hand. And it was only after he put the glove on his hand that he reached into the pile of coins and picked up one particular coin. He picked it up and he looked at it, he looked at it, and he looked at it. Then again, he turned to the drawer and he pulled out a little plastic bag and he took the coin and he dropped it in the plastic bag and zipped it up. And he said to my wife, do you know what you have here? And she just simply said, like I would have said, oh, just one of the coins the kids play with. <laughs> he said, do you realize what it is? And we said, we don't have any idea. He said, this is a South African coin and it's pure gold. Pure gold. Not a large coin. Now I'm talking... Maybe over the third, well, it would be now, over, nearly 40 years ago, this was, this was the reality. He said it's, it's a coin of value. In those days, back in those days, I was earning, by reason of wages, I was earning around about 65 or $70 a week, working full time. This coin was worth at least two week wages. And the kids have been playing shop with it. <laughs> I can tell you this, from that day till she sold it, that coin was never played with with the kids again. Because <laughs> we got told this. I don't know whether you realize it or not, but every time you handle a coin, you're damaging it. We, we, don't, we don't think like that. But a person who, who, who's a gem collector or a, a coin collector, every time you handle a coin, you are putting acid on it through your skin. And you can wear out the, the brazel around the edge. That's where the value is in the little marks around the edge of the coin. And this coin had those little marks around the outside. And if we kept on handling it, its value would keep on decreasing. Don't despise the day of small things. See, we didn't know the value of what we were handling until somebody told you us the value of it. 
the reality was this. Some time later, some months later it was, my wife wanted a little car. We were able to sell that coin and buy her a little car. Wow. From a coin that the kids played with as a game and a toy, the value of it was far, far greater. But we never saw the value of it. And I would suggest to you today, there are things that are valuable in front of you, but you don't recognize them for what they are. Because you consider them without significance. A word in season is more powerful than a thousand words. I said to a man, Pastor Peter, prophetically, I said this to a man many years ago. I'd prayed this particular night. I'd been in a prayer meeting praying for people. I'd prayed for maybe about 80 people that day or that night. And this man, this is the story quickly. There'd been about 20 people coming on the queue. Every time there's a queue, there's about 20 people. And I came along the queue like this, praying and prophesying, praying and prophesying. I came to, came to this man. Sorry, brother, but you've, you've got the bad spot this morning. There was a man standing here, but I came to this man, prayed with him, spoke to him, and then I went back to the row again. Left this man unprayed for and unprophesied over. He turned around and he walked back to his seat. I didn't see this. My wife saw it. He went back to his seat and he was an angry man. He showed his anger on his face. In other words, that blimmin' pastor, you know, just ignored me. That's the way he looked as he walked back to his seat. So I go back to the beginning of the road the second time. Pray, 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 pray. In the meantime, he came up a second time and stood there a second time. I came along, da-da-da, came to here, da-da-da, and back again. I left him a second time. He went back even more disturbed than previously. My wife thought he was going to punch me. That's how angry he looked. Anyway, it so happened that on the third time through, which was the last time that night, after, after about two hours of praying and prophesying over people, I came down the line again, and he came up for the third time and stood there. So when I came down the line that third time, without knowing he'd been there twice before, or not being conscious of him being there twice before, I came to this man, spoke and prayed. Then I come and stood in front of this man. Everybody else, the truth of that night, people had left the building. It was so late at night. It was about 11 o'clock at night on a Sunday night. And I stood in front of that man, and I'm going to use Pastor Peter now. I stood in front of that man, Pastor Peter, and this is all I said to him. You're not going to be like your father. That's all I said to him. You're not going to be like your father. That man, you would have thought I'd punched him in the chin and he dropped to the ground crying like a baby. That's all that was said to him. You're not going to be like your father. He dropped to the ground and began to weep profusely. The pastor of the church is there with me, and I'm looking at this man. I'm looking at myself. I'm looking at the pastor. And I'm thinking, something's going on here. Nobody else had done this the whole time. I'd been praying for people, but this man did it. So I said to the pastor, I've got to talk to this man before I leave the building. So we waited until this man gathered himself. Finally, he gets himself to his feet. And so I said, brother, can I ask you a question? I said, what was it that I said that made you act or feel the way you did? He said, Pastor Alec, he said, he said, you wouldn't believe it, but just this morning before I came to church, I'd been on my knees before God and I said, God, I don't, I don't want to be like my father. I need to know that I'm not going to be like my father. Now you might think, so what? Didn't want to be like his father. Now you've got to know the story. This man's story was this. 
As a child, he'd grown up with an abusive father. His father had sexually abused him and his sisters as they'd grown up as children. He couldn't wait to get away from the family home. And so at the age of 14 or 15, he ran away from home to get away from this kind of contamination. And it was, the propagator was his father, his biological father. He got away from his father, he got away from the family. Here he was many years later, and I'm saying maybe seven or eight years later, he's 23, 24 years of age by now. And at this stage, he's, he's now lived his life and got his life back on track as best he could. And here he is, he's married and having children of his own. But about three months before this occasion where I came into the scene, he woke up one morning and he found himself, and I don't say this unkindly, he found himself having thoughts, impure thoughts towards his own children. The very thing that had happened to him, he was starting to think of those same kind of thoughts and feelings towards his own son and daughter. And it just devastated him. He, he felt absolutely defeated. He, here he was, a guy that loved God. Right at him like an like a, like a avalanche. And so that Sunday morning when he got on his knees before God, he said, God, I don't want to be like my father. He was crying out of desperation. So that night he didn't need any other words. All he needed to know, he's not going to be like his father. Don't despise the day of small things. See, a small word to you may be a word of significance to somebody else. You and I are going to learn to put value on the things that God put value. And I don't say that unkindly. I truthfully believe this is a word for your church right now. See, some of you are waiting for the big miracles. Let me tell you, start believing for the small ones too. I would rather have a small miracle than no miracles. Just like my wife with her coins, she didn't know the value until somebody told her the value. And I'm trusting this morning as I'm speaking, I'm helping you to see there's value in things that you haven't seen value in before. As I continue my spiritual journey, I'm more and more aware of the many ways God is trying to get my attention. Like many people, I would love God to talk to me like a billboard. Oh, a big sign up there. Alec, do this. Yay, Lord, yay. But there'll be times when God doesn't talk like that to you and me. Of course, a classic story, and you all know it, in 1 Kings chapter 19. Here's this man who'd had great victory against the prophet of Baal. But here he was, he'd run away from a woman. <laughs> Men always run away from women like this. And he ran away and he found himself in a cave. And God said, what are you doing here? And he brought him out to the entrance of the cave. And then there was lightning and thunder, earthquakes and all kinds of things. But the Bible says God was not in those things. But then there came a still, small voice. I wonder how many of you are hearing small voices right now. See, some of the best things you'll hear will never be with a loud voice. It'll be with a soft voice. 
classic story, and I understand it to be true. It's not my story. But many years, many, many years ago, when the British were colonizing India, there was an English colonel in the British Army who was sent to India to be a part of the occupying forces. He came, and because he was a senior officer, he was able to bring his family with him to India. And so they were assigned this house, and they had servants and people that looked after them. But he also did his job in the military as, a, as an officer, and, and that was good. But one of the pleasures of his life was to take his son for walks under time. He had a young son. On this particular occasion, I understand, as I understand the story to be true, here he was. He, he was living in a place where there was some bush and jungle not far from where he lived, but there was a track going through the jungle, which he often walked with his son. So on this particular time, he's walking with his son, young boy, I, I can only imagine, maybe seven or eight years of age. And this little boy is walking with his father, you know, this English gentleman, officer, you know, walking his son. And the son, because of the relationship with his father, the son sometimes was walking behind, sometimes he was running ahead, as, as he was allowed to do. But on this occasion, the son was up ahead of him, maybe, maybe 10 or 12 paces. And at some point of the journey, as they're walking through this jungle part of the track, all of a sudden, the father's voice was raised somewhat and he said to his son, son, stand still. Instantly. And apparently instantly the son stood still on the track, just like this. His father's standing back here. The boy is there, 10 or 12 paces away. And then the father went on and said, son, when I tell you to run, I want you to turn around and come straight back to me. So they waited a moment, or time was waited for a few moments. And then finally, the colonel said to his son, son, run. And the boy instantly turned around and ran back to his father. But the amazingness of the story, it wasn't until the boy got back to his father that he said to his dad, why? It was at that point, the father took the son by the shoulders and turned him around. And then he pointed to the bush that was overhanging the track, just up where he had been standing. And here was one of the most venomous snakes of that part of the country about to drop on the little boy. If that little boy had moved at any point, other than when the father told him, that snake would have dropped. And the chances are his life would have been taken. Are you that obedient this morning? When God says stop, do you stop? Or you go, why? We, 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 we're not like that, are we? God says, stop, and we go, what's the matter, God? We go bouncing on, and because we think we know better than God. We think we, we can see more than God. That, that son couldn't see the snake, but the father could. And I tell you today, there will be things that God sees over your life that you will never see. And it will take God to reveal them. But when God reveals them, you must be willing to see them for what they are. God is speaking to his church. I agree with Pastor. I, I only have one job right now, as the Bible tells me, to pray for those in authority over me. Whether my party or my, my party is not in power is not the issue. It's my obedience to God. 
The Bible says pray for those that have watch over you, physically as well as spiritually. We have to pray for our government. If if you're hung up in a party at this point of time, get over yourself. God knows what he's doing. And God knows what he's allowed. It may not be the party of your choice or mine that's in power. That's not the issue. God is in control. And that's where we're going to come back to. My Bible tells me, if you're a reader of this book, you'll know. God has used many godly people to accomplish godly things. And if God's done it before, he can do it again. He can do it again. But it's not a time for us to despise the small thing. What would stop you this morning? Would you stop for a penny? Would you stop for a penny? Now you know my story, would you stop for a penny? I think you would. I'm going to give it to you as a present. You hang on to it, girl. It may remind you of this message the rest of your life. Amen. I don't know whether that coin's got any more value than what it is. I'll tell you what, you'll never forget the story. Because you've put value on it, girl. And God will put value on you. Amen. Amen. The truth is, I've got a, probably got about 30 pennies at home. And that's one of my 30 pennies. I'm happy to share it with you, young lady. Because if it can change your life and help your life be kept on the right place, then it's worthwhile investment. Amen? Don't you despise it. Because I don't despise it. You look at that coin and say, Pastor Alec values this, so I'll value it too. And I value Jesus, so you value him too, right? Good idea?